0: And so we're going to read from, from John chapter 14, and we're going to break John chapter 14 up into two. So I'm going to read half of it today. Uh, and be- before I read it, I just want you to know, John chapter 14 is one of the best pictures of the Trinity, okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is something that we, we emphasize, that we believe in strongly, that God, God is one, He's three. He's one and He's three. At the same time. And that is a mystery that even when we dive into this next week, there's no way I'm going to be able to explain it in a way that our minds completely comprehend it. Um, but there's a beauty in it. And we're going to talk about the divine dance of, of God. Uh, and so John 14 really uh, emphasizes the, the Trinitarian nature of God. But, but we're going to focus on the first half. And, and Jesus is talking to his disciples about what it's going to look like when he leaves. And you're going to see the opening sentence here has to do with a troubled heart. And, and we're going to see, Jesus has a couple responses from a couple different disciples here, uh, Philip and, and Thomas. And Peter, and I just want to jog your memory before I read this, okay, because, because of where we've been. We've been talking about Judas, we've been talking about Peter. Peter is uncharacteristically quiet in the rest of this conversation. And, and we've been talking the last couple weeks about how Jesus predicted to Peter that Peter would deny him, and then Peter went ahead and did it. We talked a lot about how Peter was the kind of guy that put his foot in his mouth often. He was the first one to speak. Sometimes he spoke and said what everybody else was, was thinking, but they were too afraid to say. But in the rest of this conversation, Peter is uncharacteristically quiet, which kind of gives room for us to hear from some of the other disciples who we don't get to hear from a whole lot. And so we're going to address some of their questions. And, but what I want you to see is that Jesus is talking to this group of people, and his concern is with the state of their heart, because he knows what's about to happen. And he knows that what's about to happen could be really troubling for them. But how does that apply today? Some of the things that you and I face today are really troubling. Troubling not just if you're a fan of Dallas Cowboys, but like in just everyday real life, there are things that are so troubling. And I just want you to know this uh, before I read this passage because I want you to hear Jesus' heart, but that Jesus is deeply concerned with the state of your heart right now. So if if you think about a troubled heart and you're like, yeah, my heart's troubled, and maybe it has to do with something far more serious a sports team but maybe there's like there's trauma or there's you know some sort of challenge that you're having a hard time even grappling with in your mind Jesus is really concerned with the state of your heart and and he spoke these words to his disciples um, because he wanted to bring them up to a place of peace and his desire is that all of his followers would be able to be at a place of peace and so we're going to read John chapter 14, verses 1 to 14, and I'm going to pray before we do, just that we hear what the Lord has to say today. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word, and I want to thank you that you gave us your word in order to reveal to us who you are, so that we can enter into a relationship with you, the Almighty. Lord, that's hard for us to even fully understand or comprehend, but but I would... I would guess that in this room this morning that there are some of us that have really troubled hearts. Or maybe some of us are going to face some things down the road that are troubling. And your words, Jesus, can actually connect us with you, can connect us with the Father, and that we, we can actually have a, a sense of peace even through uh, a storm or a season of difficulty. And so, Lord, help us to hear you today. It's not important to hear uh, an opinion of another human being, but, but Lord, we want to hear your words, which are eternal. And which give us peace. And so we just, we ask that you would speak. And may our hearts be open to what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 14. This will be up on the screen. Jesus says to his disciples, after some already really troubling events, if you've been following, and before some troubling events that are to come. Yet, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So I don't know if you've spent time looking into... The like this passage, but one of the things that I noticed is that Jesus, and I want you to, to get this, okay? So, so Jesus is often when he's talking to his disciples, he's talking about something that's over their head, and then they're asking him questions about stuff that he's not necessarily even addressing, okay? And you'll notice this a lot. So, Jesus is talking, he's like trying to get his disciples to understand like eternal things. He's trying to get them to understand the big picture of life. He's trying to get them to understand, like, how to have relationship with the creator of the universe. And he's trying to, like, take them out of their current situation and connect them with God, with the eternal, so that they have peace. But then then the disciples, they're often asking questions that just have to do with, like, the everyday, the normal. Okay, so Jesus is, like, talking up here, and the disciples are struggling with, with right here, which I think all of us, can relate with. There's a lot of times we're like if you're listening to what God is saying, he's he's talking about things that would actually give peace and cause us to have joy. And then we're concerned with sometimes like the temporary or the things that are right in front of us. And and that's not to say God is concerned with the things that are right in front of us. He's concerned with the everyday of your life. He's concerned when you're getting up and making breakfast for your kids. And he's concerned with the everyday. But oftentimes, we get so consumed with what's right in front of us. And he's talking about something that would actually lead to to life and to a deeper encounter. And that's what's going on in this passage of Scripture. And I want to look, in a minute, we're going to look at Philip and Thomas' question. But I want to just get you to think a little bit about, like, what does a troubled heart look like? So for you... If you've ever experienced a troubled heart, what does that look like? And what has caused that? I think, generically speaking, one of the things that leads to a troubled heart is fear of the unknown. Just fear of what is next. Or, or a fear of losing control. You know, have you ever had a, a situation that, that you're involved in, and, and you just feel like at any moment things could fall apart? It could be like, the, the awareness that a relationship could fall apart at any moment or that you could lose a job at any moment or that something that's giving you security. It's like there's this fear of just losing control. It's pretty unsettling. If you've ever been in a situation like that, it can be terrifying. It can lead to all kinds of anxiety. Just this fear of losing control. You've, you feel like there's this sense of control. You feel like you've got a hold or a handle on something. But then the, the thought coming in of like maybe losing that like, the, the the repercussions of that are just overwhelming, and it can lead to an incredibly troubled heart. So fear of the unknown, fear of losing control, fear of what could be. You know, how, how many of us at nighttime, when we're all alone with our thoughts, we think about all of the potential things that could happen that would be disastrous, and it just leads to a troubled heart? Does it not? Why, the only... Person that has those kinds of thoughts sometimes at night. Like sometimes you lay awake, and if you let your mind wander, it could actually lead to an incredibly troubled heart. And and for a lot of us, um, if if you're in a situation of of peace and comfort, you've got good you know things going on in your family and maybe a good job. It's it's hard to think about a troubled heart. about a year ago. I think it was about a year, a year and a half ago. We we gathered here in this building to watch a movie called Free Burma Rangers. And uh, it was an incredible documentary. And I don't think Shah is here this morning, but Shah is from Burma. And he shared his story uh, on Christmas Eve. And, and he he actually fled Burma and grew up in a refugee camp in Thailand. He shared a really powerful story about that. But when he talked about that, like I, I just was like thinking about troubled heart. C- can you imagine living in a situation where you, you literally have to leave your home country? And, and you have to go to a country that is saying... Sure, well, we'll let you kind of set up camp here and and you can try to exist and be okay. And you grow up for years and years and years in that kind of a setting where all you've known is war, where all you've known is that there's a possibility that somebody could come in and completely disrupt every sense of security that you have. Like, is that not troubling? And so the reason I bring that up is because maybe this morning you're listening and you feel this sense of security, but if you just imagine like some of the things that, that make us feel secure, imagine some of that being taken away. Would you feel troubled? You know, some of the things that are going well in your life right now, if that was just ripped uh, from under your feet, if that was taken away, could it lead to feeling really troubled? Thomas and Philip, they both have uh, different questions. I think there's a slide up there, Jacob, with, with Thomas and Philip. And so I want to look at their questions, because I think both of these guys ask questions that you and I can relate with in this really powerful Section of scripture, this deep talk with Jesus. And so so Thomas asks a question where he's basically asking Jesus, like, where are you going? And what he's getting at is, like, what happens when we die? Jesus is telling Thomas, like, I'm leaving. I'm going to die. And he's trying to prepare his disciples for that. And and you can just feel the unsettledness in Thomas where he's like, Jesus, where, where are you going? We don't know how to get there. How do we get there? And I think what he's wrestling with is. He felt this sense of security with Jesus. Thomas remembered being in a boat where there was this insane storm and they felt like they were going to die. Maybe you remember that story. The disciples were just going nuts because the the storm was coming and it was crazy and the boat was about to capsize and Jesus stands up and says, peace, and the storm just rages. Imagine spending a time with that guy. You'd feel peaceful, wouldn't you? You know, if you were in this crazy raging storm and it just like, was peace, Or you get to a city and there's all these sick people and it's overwhelming and you want to help but you don't know how to do it and Jesus shows up and he starts touching people and they get healed. Thomas also remembered being at a place where there was thousands of people in this huge desert area and there was no food and the disciples are all struggling like how are we going to feed these people and Jesus, Jesus says oh just bring me a couple pieces of bread and some fish. And he prays and he thanks God. And then all of a sudden, the food is multiplied. So Thomas remembers this. And so Thomas is hearing Jesus say, I'm, gonna, I'm going now. And he just feels unsettled. Like, well, how, like, how do I get to where you're going? How do I, what happens when I die? What, what do you mean you're leaving? He feels really unsettled. Wouldn't you? Like, if you'd just spent three years with, with Jesus, who was feeding hungry people and healing sick people and calming crazy storms, like, you'd feel like, what, what's going to happen when you go? And then Philip, Philip asks a question Um, which is one that I relate with more. So for me personally, Philip's question is something that that I I resonate with. And he's asking Jesus, what's God actually like? And I'm going to tell you in a second why that's one that I I relate with. So Thomas, uh, he asked in John 14, verse 5, he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Right? So his wrestle is like, what? What do you mean you're leaving? How do I get to where you're going? He's just he can't he can't uh, grapple with the reality of Jesus, this person that he's come to trust and love, being gone. And then he doesn't know how do I get to where you're going. And and so if you if you relate with his question, maybe you've struggled with death. What really does happen after death? What? How can I be confident that I'm going to be with God like this Jesus talks about? You know, that's, that can be really unsettling. And then Philip in 14 verse 8, he says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Show us the Father and it is enough for us. So in the middle of this conversation, Philip says to Jesus, just show us God. And I want to tell you the reason that this one is one that I relate with is because sometimes God feels distant. And, and even more than that, Sometimes God feels scary because of who he is as a judge. In Exodus, I'm going to read a couple verses from Exodus, there's this famous scene, you might remember it, where uh, Moses invites the people of Israel to come and experience the presence of God, and they're terrified. And listen to, listen to what they say to Moses. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19 says, Now when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking... That's all the presence of God. So the presence of God was doing all these things. The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And so they, they were afraid of getting close to God. <clears throat> and the reason I relate with this, and, and this maybe will be helpful for some, um, oftentimes when I talk about my family, uh, I talk about the amazing things God has done, and, and he's done incredible things. Some of you have read the book that my sister wrote. My dad came to know Jesus in prison. God did a really miraculous thing. Uh, one of the things, I, I don't talk about this a ton, but my parents both came from really rough backgrounds, as you can imagine. Okay? Uh, my dad came from a background of, of criminals. You know, his, his father had spent a lot of time in prison. He was raised by an alcoholic, so a lot of trauma, Not a whole lot of awareness of how to raise a family. My mom came from a really broken background as well. Um, They had me a year after they were married. Okay, so it was exactly a year after my dad had been released from prison. And they were both committed to following Jesus, but hadn't worked through a lot of their struggles. And when I was like five, six years old, like some of my first memories are like volatile rage arguments between my parents. And I, I remember like sitting, we used to live in a, a mini home and I would sit on one end and they would be in these, these fights that actually sometimes got physical. Like it was scary as a five and a six-year-old. And, and I, I would sit there and I would cry and I would like, and my parents told me later, like sometimes I would try to clean the house and try to talk to them about how to like, maybe that'll help them stop fighting or that'll like fix things or whatever. So there was all this like, so I saw that. And then, and then there was teaching. So fast forward another Six, seven years into my early teen years, there was some really popular teaching that came into the area that terrified me when I thought about God. And so I remember this, this teacher came through, uh, and I'm young, and I'm impressionable, and I'm working through some of the stuff that I'm seeing in my home and between my parents and the fights and the, how it was physical sometimes. And this teacher came through, and he was talking about the power of the tongue. And I remember him saying, like, if you ever use a word like I died when you're playing a video game, you're speaking a curse over yourself. Like, you're, you're cursed by God. And so, and he would say, like, so when, you, when, you're, when you're out and you're doing anything, like, anything you say can be a curse and it can bring curses down on you. And I would, like, the way I interpreted this was, like, I just lived in a constant state of fear. I used to, and this is true, so when I was in my younger grades of school, I'd be on the like, the playground, and one of my friends would say something that I thought was a curse, and I would just be in fear, and I would go under my breath, I'm like, Lord Jesus, I cancel that curse in Jesus' name, like all day long, okay? And, and I also lived in like, just fear of like the judgment of God, so I had this like upbringing where I saw a lot of anger and a lot of explosions happening in the home. And then I had this teaching that was like really emphasized like the, the judgment of God. And so I had this heaviness in my heart. And, and I remember on like this distinct memory of like family movie nights. We used to get together every couple weeks and we'd watch a movie and I, sometimes I'd be so overcome, like I'd see a scene in the movie or somebody would use God's name in vain or somebody would say something that would bother my conscience. And I was so afraid of, like, the judgment of God that I was going to be sent to hell. Like, I would just, like, run up to my room. I couldn't even sit through a movie where I'd be, like, up in my room, kneeled down by my bed praying and asking God to forgive me. Like, I was just so bothered like on a deep level because my view of God was this like this judge and I I was afraid of like interacting with him and it and the reason I read that passage from Moses is because they're from Exodus with Moses is because the people of Israel that was their view of God they saw like the smoke and the fire of his presence and they were afraid of his judgments they were afraid to connect with him and they said Moses you go and so Philip's question to Jesus, when Jesus is about to leave, this is the first time that the disciples, like they're interacting with Jesus who's gracious and loving and kind and compassionate. And Jesus is talking about how he's gonna leave and he's saying to them, you have a relationship with the Father. And Philip goes, just show us the Father. What, like, just, we wanna see the Father. Because Philip wasn't buying it. He wasn't believing that Jesus is the Father. And what Jesus was trying to teach his followers, he's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've encountered me, you've encountered God. And for Philip, he's like, no, no, like just show us God. And, and Jesus pushes back and says, no, no, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he's, he's bringing peace to his troubled hearts. So that's in 14 verse 9. Uh, Jesus says to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so I want to, and, and, and as I, I'm going to transition into an untroubled heart. But I want to say this. There is, there is judgment against sin, okay? Like, the Bible is really clear that, that like, God is going to, to, to sit in judgment over, over sin. But we have such a bad perception of what that looks like. We have such a bad perception of, of what it actually means to be in a relationship with God. And it's been one of the biggest struggles of Jesus' followers over the centuries is trying to reconcile, like, there's the judgment aspect of God, and then there's the loving, compassionate, gracious side of who he is. And reconciling those two is a real struggle. And even for the disciples, and that's what I want to point out, even for the disciples, it was a challenge, it was a struggle. And Jesus is trying to settle their troubled hearts. He's saying, don't have a troubled heart. If you've encountered me, you've encountered God. And so, uh, Jesus' answer to Thomas' question, okay, when Thomas asks his question about where are you going, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's in 14, verse 6. And and I just want to, this will be up on the screen, Jake, if you can go to the next slide. The key to an untroubled heart is to have a relationship with the truth and his name is Jesus Christ. Okay, so the the main truth that I want to get across to you today as much as possible is that you and I, as human beings, can have a relationship with the truth, and the truth is a person. This is like, there's, in the book of John, there's seven I am statements where Jesus declares I am, and he's trying to reveal I am God. Okay, and this is the sixth I am statement, and Jesus is, is showing his disciples. He's like, you know, you have thought of the truth as this like abstract reality, but like the truth is is me. It's a person, and the reason this is life changing. Okay, and I want to. We're gonna put up a couple definitions here for for truth. I, I've like I don't know about you, but like I wrestled with like what is what is the truth? What is it? What does it mean to be right or to be truthful? When you're thinking about what Jesus' statement here, like I am the truth, because Jesus is claiming that that the truth is, is a person. But you and I, when we think of the truth, we think of the truth as like maybe the, a correct statement or a correct belief, which that's like, kind of gets there. But what Jesus is saying is he's like, yeah, sort of, but, but I am the truth. Like, you ever think about the truth with like fingers and toes and a voice? Like what Jesus is saying is, is like, you can actually have a relationship with the truth. That will unsettle your heart in a profound way. So when we think of the truth, dictionary.com has a few definitions. That the truth is uh, the true or actual state of a matter, conformity with fact or reality, a verified or indisputable fact, proposition, principle, or the like, the state or character of being true, actuality or actual existence, an obvious or accepted truth, a truism or a platitude. Jesus is saying, okay, that the truth is a person. When I think about the truth in terms of what we just read the dictionary definition of it my my relationship with faith with with like with truth is 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 blurred it's hard it's difficult so to go back to my story growing up like having a relationship with god was tough because i thought that having a relationship with god was all about believing the right things about him maybe you've been stuck there where you're like to have a relationship, you have to believe all the right things, and I started to struggle. I, I wrestled with, um, and these are theological terms, and so if they're unfamiliar, it's, it's not super important, but Calvinism versus Arminianism. Okay, it's just different understandings of God. I thought I had to have that figured out in order to have a relationship with God. Okay, um, and, and also growing up, I, I heard a lot of teaching about Genesis and, and how, like, if you don't believe that Genesis is teaching that there's seven literal days and that the earth is only you know, eight to 10,000 years old and you don't really believe the gospel, you don't believe Jesus. And then I would hear you know, uh, scientists come at it from a totally different perspective and talk about billions of years. And then I would, t- and then I would hear Christians who were scientists that would get into it and-, and they believe, yeah, the earth could be billions of years old and here's how we believe the scriptures support that. And I was confused. And my, my view of this like judgmental God, I was afraid if I get my belief, my thinking wrong, Then I'm gonna be out of sorts in my relationship with God. It's gonna be a mess. So I thought I had to have like the truth, according to the dictionary definition, figured out in order to have a right relationship with God. And it was heavy. And it actually contributed to this like heaviness feeling, this untroubled or this troubled heart that, that I was struggling with. And other, I would think about other religions, like well, what about people who believe a different way about God? Like, you know, they, they believe their way is right because of the way they were raised. Maybe I only believe what I believe because of the way that I was raised, and it's not really because it's actually true. It's just because of how I was influenced. And I started to, like, I struggled. I was like, I was messed up with this dictionary definition of truth, and I thought I had to have all of my ducks in a row in order to really have a relationship with God. Okay? So so maybe some of that stuff you can relate with. Maybe you've you've wrestled through some of that. Here's what I want to say to you. When Jesus is like settling his disciples' hearts, you know what he says to them? He says, I'm the truth. Like he doesn't give them this list of like, believe this, 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 then you're in. Then you're accepted by God. He was like, "I'm, I'm the truth. Like if you have a relationship with me, you're made right with God. It's profound. You will find no person ever talking like that. Like, no matter what you study, no matter where you go, like, nobody talks like that. And, and if they did, they didn't rise from the dead, okay? Like, this is where our faith hinges on. So Jesus, he made these kinds of statements, which were like, I'm sure that his disciples were like, oh, wow, that's profound, that's really cool. But if Jesus had actually gone to the cross like he prophesied that he would and died and stayed in the ground, this stuff would have died out. We wouldn't be looking at these words 2,000 years later. But Jesus made these incredible claims where he was trying to settle the hearts of his disciples and he's saying, you know, your understanding of God is skewed, but but I'm the truth. You can have a relationship with me. And what's profound about that is Jesus isn't saying, these are all the things you've got to have figured out in order to be accepted, in order to be in. He's like, you've got to have a relationship with me. When you've got that settled, that is, like, I am truth. Like, that's what Jesus was saying. I want to... Uh, I'm going to give an illustration to, to try to make sense of this. Um, there's a picture on here. I'm going to skip a couple slides, Jacob. Um, you guys all recognize this fine-looking man and his daughter? He's, he was on stage this morning. <laughs> so this summer I told a story about um, Dave, Dave and I and Justin and Stella and Malachi. Malachi, got to give a shout-out. Um, we went to the Devil's Crater this summer, and it was a crazy, epic trip. Okay, Um, and I and I told the story about how we met a guy that's actually a professional canoeer and he kind of shook his head with like, can't believe you guys made it because you obviously don't know what you're doing. He talked to us like for long enough to figure out like, you guys, (laughs) I don't know how you did this. Right. But anyway, he was like, good on you. You know, you got you got grit. You you made it work. And our team was stubborn and we made it. The reason I want to show this picture is like this guy kind of shook his heads, his head at us. And so three of us were adults, and then Malcolm's 15, and Stella's 9. And he's just like, man, I can't believe you guys made it. It was a really epic journey. It's crazy. I was preparing for this sermon, and I was thinking about Stella. Is she up here? She's not up here, is she? Okay. Stella's, she was not, she's still 9? She, she was 8 when she did it. Okay. So Stella's 8 years old and successfully made it to a place that some people spend 15 or 20 years working their skills up to, to get to the point where they could do a trek like that, Okay. So Stella's eight years old, and, and we were joking about it, like, this summer. I was like, you know, when Stella's, like, 20 and she's talking to people that have been working towards this goal, like, if I were Stella, I'd be like, I did that when I was eight. Come on. Right? Like, she's got this in her pocket now. Like, she could totally be like, I was eight years old. Come on. I was eight years old, and I, I did it. So what are you struggling with, right? So, like, the odds of Stella, and, and in order for us to do this, like, like, we had to GPS the route. We had to have it, like, mapped out, and even that was a bit of a struggle, and that's a whole other story, um, there was like at least seven sets of really difficult rapids that we had to navigate, which we weren't fully expecting. We lost shoes, almost broke toes, all those kinds of things. A little crying, not just from Stella. Um, <laughs> we were crying. Uh, overnight stays um, in a remote boreal forest that was off-grid. We had to portage with a heavy canoe with lots of gear, lots of gear we actually learned that we probably didn't need um, this experienced canoeist that we ran into kind of laughed at us because we had these big cans of like, like, you know the Walmart fruit that's got like the juices in it, it's so nice. He's like, you know, people that do multi-day trips don't really travel with stuff like that. They've got all their dried fruit and we're like pulling out these cans and drinking them and he's like, you know, so we had to have all this stuff and move it. We had to do food prep, there was water purification. I remember Justin, um, one morning it was like, or no, it was late at night, we went down and we were out of water and we were like, we we're going to have to have water first thing in the morning to make our food. And, we were, and the mosquitoes were like just killing us. And it was like this sacrifice because you have to hold the pump over the, uh, over the bottle to get it in. And so you would sacrifice yourself while a thousand mosquitoes pulled blood from you. And you're like, I'm just doing it so I can have clean water to make my oatmeal and coffee in the morning, right? And like it was this sacrifice. And so, but I was thinking about Stella. Like Stella was successful in this impossible trip. If she'd have set out on her own, It'd be impossible. There's no way all of that stuff is something that she'd be able to do all on her own. But she was—it was possible because of a relationship with her papa, right? Like that's what made this impossible journey possible. Was because of her relationship with her papa. And so to go back, this with the illustration and what I want to drive home this morning is that when you think about truth, like I brought up some things, and there's tons of others I could I could bring up, right? Like biblical arguments and and what's true about some of the teaching that we find in scripture and how do we figure that out. What's true about God? There's all this stuff that we can get hung up on that we can actually fight over that just can make us feel if you have this view of God that He's this hardcore judge that's gonna judge you and He's gonna come down on you, like you could feel like I've got to get everything all right in order to be made right with God. And Jesus, he's trying to untrouble his disciples' hearts and he just says like, just like, it's me. I'm the truth. Like, I'm, I am the truth in physical form. And like, if you have a relationship with me, you'll be made right. Like, I don't know, like, for me, the, like, the peace that comes from that. When I'm struggling with the challenges and the difficulties of life, and I'm trying to figure out, like, what, what to believe about God and, and, like, feeling unsettled. Like, I go back to these words, and I'm like, Jesus, he invited me into a relationship with him. He is the truth. I don't have to have all that stuff perfectly figured out. When you stand before God, when when we stand before God at judgment, he's not going to look at you and say, did you get all of your ducks in a row and get your theology completely figured out? He's going to ask, did you trust Jesus? Did you put your faith in Jesus? Because he came and revealed God. He went to the cross. He died. And then he proved that everything he said was true because he rose from the dead, ascended to be with the Father and said, if you have a relationship with me, all will be made well. And so when the disciples were struggling with the things that were going on that was in front of them in their current situation and and Jesus is talking about like, he's like, no, but you, like, yes, I'll help you with those things. I'll be with you. My Holy Spirit's going to be with you. But you have to understand like, I am the truth. If you have a relationship with me, you don't have to worry about what comes next. And to bring it background of my own personal life, like my struggle with God and seeing God as, as, as judge and being afraid that I'm not get, getting everything figured out, like Philip, because I think that's what Philip was getting at. He's like, just show us God. Like, what, what is he, what's he like? Can we approach him? And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen, if you have a relationship with me, you have a relationship with the truth. I'm going to invite the team to come up um whether you're a follower of Jesus today or not i think that the the truth of jesus words hits home if your heart is open and and my my question is uh what is your relationship with the truth jesus look like is that relationship, the kind of relationship where your heart is peaceful, is untroubled because of the confidence of this relationship you have with Christ. Because that's what Jesus was getting at with his disciples. He knew, he was preparing them for, he was going to go. He he knew he was going to die, he knew he was going to rise from the dead, but he he was going to go to be with the Father and he was sending them out on mission. And he was preparing them for that by saying, you can have relationship with me. Your confidence uh, in God comes from your relationship with me. And some of those issues that I brought up, I, and I feel like I always need to say this, I'm not saying it's unimportant to, to study and understand theology and have a right, right understanding of God. I'm not saying it's unimportant to have those conversations. It's all important. But you know, our faith hinges on whether or not we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. That's what this, this passage, this deep talk this is what it had to do with As He was saying, you want a, tr- a heart that is untroubled? Trust me. Have a relationship with me. I'm the, I'm the truth. Like, you, you have this idea that truth is this, like, these propositional statements or these ways of thinking, but, like, actually the truth is is a person, and you, you can have a relationship with him. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. If you're, uh, let's just stand together. I'm just going to close in prayer. and We have a song. Uh, I think it's a song and a half <laughs> we're going to close with. Um, and if the Lord is just, like, speaking to you in any way, um, I just want to encourage you, even during this song, uh, maybe, maybe to make things right with him, to renew your trust in him, to align your thinking with Jesus, and even to realize, like, that this, this, uh, this relationship we talk about is possible through Christ, but it's also something to be maintained. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a while and you've gotten kind of distracted with some of your thinking and, and it's time to come back to just this simple relationship with the truth who is Jesus. And, and while we're singing, it'll be a time if you want to pray, uh, I invite you to do that. If you, want to, if you feel to come forward and, and kneel and pray, you're welcome to do that. Somebody will come pray with you. Um, but let's pray before we, we sing together. Lord, thank you for your word Thank you for your word to us. Jesus, when you said these words 2,000 years ago to your disciples, you knew, you knew what they were heading into. You knew that they were going to have to make all kinds of important decisions and figure out the truth in a sense. And you wanted them to understand that, that you are the truth and that a relationship with you actually leads to truth. Lord, your word tells us that the Holy Spirit will actually bring back to our mind the things that you taught. You, you, as The closer we are in proximity to you the more of an understanding of truth that we have and the more that we can live and walk that out. And so, Lord, I just pray for those listening this morning, if, if there's people here that have troubled hearts, Lord, if they're troubled by just the fear of future, fear of losing control, fear of the unknown, that it would be a comfort this morning to know that our relationship with you is a relationship with, with truth, but also with, uh, with what leads to eternal life with you for, for all time. Lord, I pray for those that have troubled hearts this morning that we'd be comforted in you. And maybe for those this morning that don't know you, that, that they would take that first step in saying, I, I put my faith and trust in Jesus because I believe he is the truth. Let's pray you bless our, as we sing this last song, we just welcome your peace and presence and may you continue to speak to us in a way that brings change, hope, and transformation. In Jesus' name.